If you've got a Bible, Mark chapter 1, we're finishing Mark chapter 1 this morning. Um, you know, some people are just bad at keeping secrets. You know anyone like this, okay? It's bad at keeping secrets, okay? Not me. Uh, but some people are, okay? Uh, like, these are people that you just don't want to share a secret with because if you do, the whole world is going to find out whatever sensitive information you don't want people finding out, right? Like, have you ever shared a secret with somebody? And you said, hey, this is a secret, so I don't, like, tell anybody, right? And they're like, yes, I got it. It's a secret. My lips are sealed. But right after, they take your secret and they blab that sensitive information to another person. But at least they say, hey, this is a secret, so just keep this between you and me, right? And, like, somehow your secret gets redefined as, like, you get to choose one person of your choosing to, like, to share that secret with. And then your secret just gets shared from one person to another until the whole world finds out. Some people are bad at keeping secrets. Uh, this past summer, Laurel and I were in Prince Edward Island where I grew up visiting my family. And after dinner, we're sitting in the living room just chatting with my sisters and my mom and dad and, and my sister's husbands. And um, all of a sudden, my three-year-old nephew walks in playing with an action figure and nonchalantly he just says, mommy has a baby in her tummy. Like he just throws that out there. And I'm like, man, kids say the darndest thing. And I just like wrote it off. But apparently he was onto something. Apparently my sister was pregnant and this was something that he wasn't supposed to share with anyone. This was a secret. And his nonchalant announcement turned into an impromptu pregnancy announcement. In our passage this morning, we're introduced to a man that has leprosy, a man who has a, a, a skin disease. And he comes to Jesus, gets down on his knees and begs Jesus to heal him. And Jesus does. But when Jesus heals him, he gives him a strict command. He says, keep this a secret. Don't tell anyone. But he doesn't do this. Like, this is a straightforward command, but this guy cannot keep his lips sealed. It says this in verse 43. It says that Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. Now, Jesus gives you a strong warning. That's like, okay, listen up, do this. This is a strong warning. See that you do not tell this to anyone. But go show yourself to a priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading or blabbing the news. So Jesus explicitly tells this guy, don't tell anyone that I healed you. And this guy immediately goes and tells everyone. Uh, verse 45 continues and says, as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Because of this guy's big mouth, Jesus can't be seen in public. He's driven out of the town into the wilderness. He, he's forced to stay out of town because this guy just couldn't keep a secret. So what in the world is going on here? Well, let's back up and start at the beginning of the story in verse 40. It says this, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. So here's this man, he comes to Jesus and he's so desperate that he gets down on his hands and knees on the floor and he begins to beg and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, if you're willing, you can heal me. This man believes that Jesus somehow has the power to heal. News is getting out about this, this healer who shows up to a synagogue and casts out demons. A crowd shows up at Peter's house and Jesus heals the crowd and word gets out and this guy finds out that Jesus can heal him. So he gets on his knees and he thinks that Jesus can do this. And we know this because he says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. 
This guy is confident, but he's also desperate. He's on his knees begging for Jesus' help. Now, at some point in this man's life, we've got to assume that he contracted a, a skin disease. The word leprosy isn't a specific skin disease. It's actually a category, a broad category of various skin diseases that one could get. And someday he probably just came home from work and there was like a rash developing on his skin or something like that. So he takes a few days off and and it doesn't get any better. In fact, it gets progressively worse until one day it's totally out of control. Now, this isn't a big deal for us. We're like, dude, just like go see a doctor, right? If you have one in BC, go see a doctor, go to a walk-in clinic, get some antibiotics, take a few days off and you will be fine. But it says in the Bible in Numbers 5 verse 2, command the Israelites to send away from the camp anyone who has a defiling skin disease. So this guy isn't just sick. It's not his only problem. He's not just sick, but he's banished from society by biblical law. This man has to spend who knows how long outside of the city limits, isolated from his family, his friends, and everyone that he has ever known. This guy was exiled from society because of a skin disease that was totally out of his control. This is like in 2020, I don't know if you guys remember this, but in 2020, the world shut down. You guys remember this, right? Uh, in 2020, I, I, I was engaged to Laurel, and I didn't see her for a month, a whole month. We didn't hang out. I didn't go to her place. I didn't see her a whole month, restricted to Zoom, right? And it was terrible. And this is like that, but a thousand times worse, because he's not just exiled from his community and his family for a month, but for his entire life. And Zoom, I don't know if you know this, wasn't invented yet. It wasn't a thing. This guy is sent to live out in the wilderness, exiled from everyone he ever knew. Leviticus 13.45 also said that anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkept, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away. See, this guy doesn't just live away from everyone else. He has to grow his hair out. He's got to wear torn clothes. And that wasn't cool back then, but it is now. And he has to yell, unclean, stay away from me. Don't come any closer, right? In fact, the rabbinic teaching of the time was that you had to stay six feet from somebody who had leprosy. And you had to stay 200 feet if it was a windy day, right? And rabbis would even teach their disciples that if a leper came too close, you should pick up pebbles and throw them at the leper to get them to run away from you. This is in the Talmud, right? Like this is what they believed about lepers at this time. This man, because of this disease, has lost his ability to socialize, to work, to have family, to enter into public worship. You got to think about this. This guy can't hug his kids. He can't kiss his wife. He he, he can't work. He, he, He can't do anything within six feet of another human being. He is an exile. He is he is removed from socializing with anyone by biblical law. So in Jesus day, you would never see a rabbi anywhere near a leper. So it should be surprising to us that Mark tells us that a leper came up to Jesus. Somebody with leprosy came and got close to Jesus because lepers were unclean. They were banished from society. This man should have cried out, unclean, unclean Jesus, don't come any closer. But he doesn't. He approaches Jesus. And one of the disciples probably would have said, probably Peter, like, hey man, like keep your distance. Don't come any closer. You are unclean. Stay away. This guy was unclean. The last thing that you wanted to do is to come into contact with somebody who was unclean because when you came into contact with somebody who was unclean, you would become unclean. It's not that his leprosy was contagious. There's a huge misconception. That's not what they were afraid of. 
They were actually afraid of his state of impurity, his state of uncleanliness. Because if you were unclean, you couldn't go into public, nor could you go into the temple because that was God's space. This is why this man has to be exiled outside of the city limits. This is why he can't go to the temple or the synagogue. He is unclean and cannot come into God's space. So a few weeks ago, I got a new pair of shoes. Okay, I thought they looked good. They were pretty cheap. I was like, man, these look really good for like 70 bucks. And I'm like wearing these things all the time. And I'm like, man, these things make my feet sweaty. And, and like my feet stink when I wear these shoes, right? And so I, I wear them on a Sunday. And after I'm done preaching, everyone's like, God, it's just a few of us cleaning up. And all of a sudden from the other side of the room, Ben goes, oh God, what is that smell? It stinks in here. Like, man, it smells like smelly feet. And he just like went on and on. He's like, oh man, that is like the worst smell I have. What, do, you guys, do you guys smell that? And I'm like, dude, it is me. You are humiliating me. And, and in that moment, I'm like, dude, I am unclean and I need to get out of here, right? This guy's heart would be beating out of his chest. He's unclean. He shouldn't be there and he knows it. This would be a terrifying experience for him. But for some reason, he thinks that Jesus can heal him. Take a look what it says, what he says to Jesus in verse 40. It says that he got down on his knees and he said, quote, if you are willing, you can make me clean. For some reason, this man doesn't ask Jesus to make him well. That's what we'd expect him to say. He doesn't ask Jesus to make him well. He asks him to make him clean. Why? This guy doesn't need a bath. This guy isn't dirty. This guy needs healing, but he asks Jesus not to be made well, but to be made clean. This suggests that his root problem isn't that he only has a disease. It's that his disease keeps him from sacred space. His problem is that not that he's unwell, but that he's unclean. See, being unclean simply meant that you were contaminated with death. That's what it meant in the book of Leviticus, that you were contaminated with death. And if you were in a contaminated state, you could not come into God's space. And I know this is a very foreign idea to us in the modern West, isn't it? But this is how people thought, not how we think, but how they thought in Jewish culture. In fact, they had an entire book about this, the book of Leviticus. Leviticus is an exciting book that you all love, and it's about what foods are unclean, what animals are unclean, what bodily fluids are unclean. There's a whole chapter on that one. And uh, what do you do if you come in contact with a dead body, right? All of these things would make you unclean. See, purity laws in the Old Testament were about what you ate or touched that would make you unclean. And every one of these things mentioned in Leviticus that made you unclean was associated with death. Blood, semen, sickness, or a dead body, it all had to do with death. The issue was about death coming into God's space. It was not a sin to be unclean. It, it, it's not like, it's not like it was, you did something sinful, right? You went to a funeral, you got, you got sick, you, you had sex, you had a baby. Like these are just normal, ordinary things that are unavoidable in ordinary life. So while it wasn't a sin to be unclean, it was a sin to go into God's presence while you were in an unclean state. Like everyone became unclean at some point. The issue wasn't becoming clean. The issue was being unclean where you have, you're associated with death and you just waltz into God's space. And this seems extreme and obsessive. We're wondering, like, is God, like, OCD? Is he, like, a neat freak? Is he a germaphobe? Like, is he afraid that, like, we're somehow going to make him dirty or, like, our sin is going to get in his space and, like, mess it all up? And, and the answer is no, that this is not what's happening, right? Like, we think that this is, like, when you're a kid and, and your mom's, like, don't come in the house until you take off your dirty shoes. Or, like, you go for a run and you're all, like, sweaty and stinky and your wife won't give you a kiss because she's like, oh, no, like, I don't want to get any of that 
on me, right? Or, or it's like um, a few weeks ago. I don't know if you guys know Belle. She's like a, a two-year-old running around the, the, the church. She's really cute. She's got this like little dress on and I pick her up and her diaper was vile, like stank so bad. And I'm like, you look so cute, but I'm just going to like send you away, right? We think this is what God is like. He's scared of us making him dirty. So we're left wondering, is he an OCD neat freak? Is he a germaphobe? Is he scared of us getting his space dirty? No, God is not a germaphobe or a clean freak. This is not what it's about. If that were the case, Jesus would not enter into humanity as a man and touch this leper. See, God is obsessively pursuing a way to get us into his space. The book of Leviticus, which again, you guys all love, it it opens verse one, chapter one, verse one, is about God calling Moses and the Israelites into his space. The book of Leviticus ends as well with this blessing. I will put my dwelling place among you, and I will not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. God is saying, I want you to come into my space, the beginning of the book. And at the end of the book, he's saying, I will put my dwelling place right among you in your midst. See, the message of Leviticus is I want you to come into my space, but you cannot bring in your death and sin. You have to be made whole. This is the Jewish understanding of what it meant to be clean or unclean. God is obsessively pursuing a way to get our space and his space together. But he's saying, I will not allow sin and death to come into my space. You must be made whole, which is why this man asks Jesus, will you make me whole? It says in verse 41, Jesus was indignant. That word can also mean that Jesus was filled with compassion. And he reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, one of Mark's favorite words, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus touched him. Did you see that? Jesus touched him. Jesus did not need to touch this man, but he chose to touch him. Jesus could have just said the word. He could have just said the word like he did for so many other people, be healed. But he didn't. He touched him. Jesus deliberately chose to reach out his hand and touch this man who was unclean. This would risk Jesus himself becoming unclean. This would would change the state of Jesus' purity, and he wouldn't be able to enter into God's space. What is he thinking? No one would ever touch an unclean person, a leper. Rabbis taught that you should remain six feet or even up to 200 feet from a leper, but Jesus touched him. Not Not only this, but not even his own friends or family would touch him, but Jesus touched him. This is one of the most scandalous verses in all of the New Testament. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. Why does he do this? Why does he deliberately choose to touch this man? Jesus could have just said the word from a distance. He could have went Harry Potter on this guy and just said abracadabra and he would be healed. He could, he could have done this, but he chose to touch him. And if you touched a leper, you would expect Jesus to become unclean. But instead of Jesus becoming unclean, this man becomes clean. Instead of, of the, the, the uncleanliness transferring to Jesus, it's Jesus' cleanliness that gets transferred to this man. And this never happens. This is not a category within the biblical story. This is the first time that we see somebody becoming clean by being touched by another person. And for the first time, this man is made well. For the first time, he can see his family. He can kiss his wife. He can hold his kids. He can go to the temple. He's free. His life changes the moment that Jesus touches him. 
No longer is he exiled from community and have to live outside the borders of the town in the wilderness. He's clean. So Jesus looks at them and he gives them one command. He's like, I'm just going to ask you to do one thing. Don't tell anyone. I remember when I was a kid, uh, we were about like five years old and we had this, this go-kart that me and my sisters would rip around in our backyard. And um, my twin sister was like terrible at driving this thing. She could barely see over the steering wheel. So my dad, one, one day, uh, my mom hated this thing, by the way, like hated it. My dad thought it was the best thing ever. And so while, while my mom was at work, my dad taught her how to drive this thing, okay? So you can imagine her like barely being able to see over the steering wheel. And he's like, okay, this is the gas pedal. Push this if you want to go. This is the brake. Push this if you want to stop. Got it? And she's like, yes. And immediately she slammed the gas pedal against the floor and just started flying, right? She ran down this small little tree saying, this thing won't stop. Like she pinned that thing thinking that the gas pedal was the brake. And all of a sudden she slammed it to my dad's work shed, knocked it off its foundation and moved it several feet from where it was. She still drives the same way, okay? My dad looked at her Probably like this man, that like, like Jesus looked at this man and he said, don't tell anyone, especially your mom, right? Look at what it says in verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded you for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Now, it's easy for us to judge this man, isn't it? Like, oh man, Jesus just gave you one thing to do, and you messed it up. But like, what's he supposed to do? Like, he's clean. He can go back into town. Like, is he not going to go see his family, his kids? Is he he not going to go back in and yell from the rooftops, Jesus made me clean? Of course he is. I would do the exact same thing. I'm not keeping this thing a secret. Like, I have my life back. I might as well live like it, right? What Jesus told him to do was to go to the priest so that the priest could look him over and see that he's clean. And the priest would offer a sacrifice as as a thanks to God, and he would be declared free. He'd be declared clean, and he could go back into society. Jesus' only command is just don't tell them that I did this. That's all Jesus is saying. Don't tell them that I did this. Let everyone know you're clean. Just don't say that I did it. I don't want any credit for this. And the reason Jesus does this is because he knows that this will cause a threat to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. What will they think of a rabbi who starts casting out demons in the synagogue? Or of a rabbi who begins by touching lepers and becoming clean? This will get him killed. This is why the next five stories in Mark are about the religious leaders who come from Jerusalem and the surrounding areas questioning Jesus. Five stories, one after the other, of religious leaders questioning Jesus. See, this leper caused such a stir that the leaders, they they come and they want to question Jesus. But notice where Jesus is banished to. He can't go into town publicly, but he's banished to the lonely places. That word lonely places is, is the Greek word for wilderness. Jesus is banished here to the wilderness, which is interesting because where was the leper at the beginning of the story banished to? It was a leper who couldn't go publicly into the city or the town, but was banished to the wilderness. See, this is where Jesus is banished to. It says, as a result, in verse 45, Jesus could no longer enter town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. He literally trades places with this guy. 
At the beginning of the story, it's a leper who can't enter town publicly, but is banished to the wilderness. But now it's Jesus who can't enter the town, but is driven out into the wilderness. This man is free. Jesus made him clean. He can now enter town. He has his life back and he's welcomed back into society. But Jesus is banished from society into the wilderness. Jesus takes this guy's place. See, Jesus here is being depicted by Mark as a leper banished from public. He's banished from the town and he has to make his dwelling out in the the vicinity of the wilderness. And this is exactly what Jesus will ultimately do on the cross. Jesus is crucified outside of Jerusalem in the wilderness. The cross is God's final word that he will not allow sin, sickness, and death to separate his people from his presence. He trades places with us, just like he trades places with this man. He takes all the things that separate us from God's presence and he destroys them on the cross. He crucifies sin, sickness, and death on the cross, forever condemned, dead, and crucified. And now nothing, nothing can separate us from the love and presence of God, which is why Paul writes in Romans 8. He says, I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And my guess this morning is that there are things in your life that make you feel unfit for God's presence. There are things that you've done, maybe even this week, and you feel like there's no way you can approach God's space or be near him. You feel like you're, you're dirty and you need to hide like this leper. You need to clean yourself up before you come to him. But we've got to understand that Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the unclean part of you. He touches that thing that, that, that is so shameful and broken in you and he touches it to make it whole. Jesus touches you and he contaminates you with his holiness and perfection. He makes you clean. He takes your place. So you can enter into God's space because everything that made you unclean has been dealt with on the cross. It's crucified, it's dead, it's gone. In the Old Testament, they would have this big celebration once a year called the Day of Atonement or Yom Kippur. And on that day, the priest would go into the temple, the high priest, and he would go into the temple with two goats. Sounds like an introduction to a good joke, right? He walks into the temple with two goats and one goat he would kill And he would take that blood and he would put it on this thing called the mercy seat. Hold on to that idea for a second, the mercy seat. The mercy seat was this this part of the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies. It's the most holy, sacred space you could imagine. And he would sprinkle the blood of that one goat on this mercy seat. And this mercy seat is what they believed to be the place where God's space, God's presence would come down and he would sit there as if it was his throne, his mercy seat. And the, the, the other um, goat that wasn't killed, the, goat would ta- or the, the priest would place his hands on that goat and he would symbolically place all of the sins of the people over that last year on the goat. And the goat would run out into the wilderness with the symbolic sins of the people on its back. See, this is uh, like when you get a package on your doorstep and, and you don't want this package, so you like write on it, like return to sender. And, and the package gets sent back to where it came from. God is, in effect, through this goat, sending back sin to where it belongs. This is his way of returning to sender the things that make us unclean. He is sending it out of the city so that God's presence could come and sit where? On the mercy seat. He can come and dwell among us. See, this is what Jesus did on the cross. Jesus is the great 
final day of atonement. Jesus was like the first goat who, who sheds his blood and it's splattered onto the mercy seat so that he can make us clean. Now I told you to keep that word mercy seat in your brain for a second. I want you to look at Romans 3.25 with me. It says that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation by his blood. Now we read the word propitiation. The English word propitiation means to appease. Okay, it comes from like a pagan idea where uh, the, the, the deities in the sky, the gods in the sky were angry. And so you would offer a sacrifice to appease their wrath, to make them not angry at you anymore. The word that Paul uses doesn't mean to appease. It, it doesn't mean to propitiate. Uh, this exact same word uh, is used um, by the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 9.5. It says, this, was what it's, uh, this is what it says, above it where the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. It's the same word. It is translated in Romans 3.25 as propitiation, but here it's translated as mercy seat. Every time you read the word mercy seat in the Old Testament, it's translated into this exact word in the Septuagint, mercy seat. The word doesn't mean propitiation, it means mercy seat. So this word means mer mercy seat. And this is where, if you remember, the blood of the goat gets splattered onto this, this mercy seat so that the people would become clean, that God's space would become clean so God's presence could come and dwell among us. So this is not about appeasing the angry God in the sky. It's about making people clean, whole, and pure. It's about freeing people from sin. And Jesus not only shed his blood on the cross, but he took our sin all the way to the grave. This was the great return to sender moment where God took all of our sin and he took it all the way to hell where it belongs. Jesus made us clean. He has made us whole. He has removed the sin and sickness and death that has defiled us and kept us from God's presence. Now there is nothing that can separate us from the love and presence of God. And this is good news. It is not that God is a neat freak and he cannot be in the presence of sin. If that were the case, he wouldn't have come and placed his hands on this leper. God is not afraid of your sin. He's just not content with sin being at his new creation. God is in effect saying, I will not allow sin to rule in my coming kingdom. No longer will I allow somebody to be beaten up or to, for war to break out or for people to be the victims of violence and hatred and bloodshed and heartbreak. What God is saying is, I, will, I want you to come into my new creation, but I will not let sin, death, and sickness in. He must purify the world by casting sin out. And the way that he did this is he became the scapegoat. He took sin all the way to the grave because he is creating a world that will not be tainted by heartache, evil, and death. Jesus is the God who is willing to touch the most unclean part of you. He's willing to make you clean. He is willing to take your place and be driven out into the wilderness with the sin of humanity on his shoulders. And he is willing to make you clean. This is the good news of the kingdom. He is willing. Be clean. Let's pray.